whenever I go to interview somebody live in person, I'm usually chatting with them as I'm setting up or while I'm getting sit down. I want to try to build at least a small rapport because that's going to really show in our energy. 10 minutes before you start, build a relationship. Do what you can to build a common bond. And that's what I usually try to do is, again, if I notice somebody has a yoga mat in the corner and I practice yoga for 20 years, I'm probably going to bring up yoga because then we only get to talk five minutes, but it's, a, you know, we can build a bond. If I see they have a, a certain band poster on their wall and I was a fan of that band, then I can talk about that. And that's one of those things that's a passion area usually. So then automatically we're bonded before we ever start. Are you ready to become a world-class interviewer, stand out with your podcast, and create an incredible audio experience for your listeners so that they keep coming back to your show and become raving fans? Welcome to the Podcast Interview Mastery, a weekly interview show where you will hear world-class podcast hosts and interviewers share their stories, tips, and strategies on how to become a master interviewer and hone your craft as a host. Are you ready to boost your confidence and inspire the masses? If so, buckle up, my friend, because this podcast will show you how. I'm your host, Tibor Nod, founder and host of the top-ranked Mindset Horizon podcast. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Podcast Interview Mastery Show. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast today. I'm super excited for you to listen to today's episode with my amazing guest, Corey Poirier, who shares a lot of great insights on mastering, building rapport, and in-person interviews. But before we dive in, I want to let you know that if you haven't started your podcast yet, I would highly recommend you check out my podcast mastery course at mindsethorizon.com forward slash course. That's mindsethorizon.com forward slash course, where I'm teaching you step-by-step how to start your own podcast from scratch so that you can scale your impact, influence, and income. For more information, simply go to mindsethorizon.com forward slash course, and you can find all the details there. So as I've mentioned earlier, my guest today is Corey Poirier, who is a multiple-time TEDx Moment Days and PMX speaker. He's also the host of the top-rated Conversations with Passion radio show, founder of the speaking program Blue Talks, and he has been featured in multiple television specials. A columnist with Entrepreneur and Forbes magazine, he has been featured on CBC, NBC, ABC, CTV, and is one of the few leaders featured twice on the popular Entrepreneurs on Fire show. He has also interviewed over 6,000 of the world's top leaders. At the beginning of today's episode, Corey shared his podcasting journey and his biggest learnings from interviewing over 6,000 of the world's top leaders. In the middle and closer to the end, we had a deep dive on developing interviewing skills and more importantly, since Corey has great experiences with conducting in-person interviews, he shared some great insights on how in-person interviews are different from remote and online interviews and what are some of the most important skills that you need to master to become really good at interviewing people in person. As always, you can check out the free resources, book recommendations, details, show notes, and links at mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview. That's mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview. And so without any further ado, please enjoy today's episode with Corey Poirier. Corey, welcome to the Podcast Interview Mastery Show. Thank you ever so much, Tibor. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to be on the other side of the mic today. 
Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited as well. And I'm really curious about your journey in terms of your uh, interviewing skills and your evolution, because you have interviewed over 5000 of the world top leaders. And uh, this is just huge. I mean, really big names. And I'm really curious about your evolution and what you learned along the way. So talk to us a little bit more about that journey. So, you know what, I'd love to say to everybody, because everybody wants a shortcut answer these days, Tibor. So I'd love to say it was one of these, you know, inclines where it was like within a week I had mastered interviewing and then I just, you know, lived off that for the next X amount of years. Uh, it's definitely been a while in the making. So that number of interviews doesn't happen in a year either. Uh, so it's been more than a decade of interviewing people. I know by it. So like what Napoleon Hill did in 1937, I'm obsessed with doing that in 2020. And I still love it just as much as I always did. Like the last interview was just as exciting to me as the first one I ever did, maybe more exciting. So, uh, but to talk about the journey, I have to say that when I started out, I wasn't comfortable on either side of whether we call it the mic or even the pen, because I did a lot of uh, print interviews. But to tell you how uh, uncomfortable I was, my first radio interview, I was literally covered in sweat. And this I was being interviewed. It was like a five-minute interview. Uh, the question was why I wrote a $100 check to a chamber of commerce as a business owner. And, and it was I knew it was five minutes. I knew nobody could see me, and I was still covered in sweat. That's how nervous I was. And it was like a local radio station. And so that was my first, that's where I started. That was my level when I started, Tibor. So it's been a long journey. Wow, it's really interesting. And you know, I wanted to focus on, uh, really, you have experiences with podcasting, you know, in-person interviews, and you've mentioned radio as well. So can we talk a little bit about those different skills? And you know, I'm thinking about really either aspiring podcasters or podcasters who are serious about their show, because the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is, you know, it's important to create uh, compelling content to your listeners, right? So especially nowadays, we have more than 1 million podcasts out there. So more and more people are launching podcasts, is becoming hot. But it's important to provide quality content. So I was thinking about those people who are serious about their show and they want to provide quality content. And it's just, it, it's not just the interviews. Um, I can admit that because, you know, especially when it comes to podcasting, you know, you can edit the show and this is the whole audio experience. But I think if you have an interview format, it's important to be able to, as you said, be comfortable with the interviews and, you know, becoming better at asking questions and so on and so forth. So I'm kind of like curious about your different skill sets in terms of becoming a great interviewer. So, I mean, it's it's such an intriguing question because there is so, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can be communicating and at, and let's say at events or with an audience or one to many. So, I mean, being a wedding MC, if we go to a wedding MC, that's a totally different role than being an MC at a business event. Being a speaker at a business event is a totally different role than being the MC. Uh, being, the, uh, being an interviewer, even on a, a radio show, for many is a different interview process than being a podcaster, you know, a podcast interviewer, because they are two different, in my opinions, the sister formats are definitely different because, you know, a drop time radio show, you want quick sound bites and it's going to be probably three to five minutes that your interviewee is going to be there for. With a podcast, you might have an hour with the person. And so that requires different stamina and different approaches. Uh, so my first thing I would say is they all, um, they all require, I think, different, uh, different approaches and different skill sets. Having said that, I believe if you can get good at one, 
you can then build upon that and get good at the others. And so you and I chatted off air about how I started performing stand-up comedy. And I believe performing stand-up comedy helped me get better at emceeing and while also at the same time getting better at interviewing. So in other words, I think the skills are somewhat transferable because what stand-up comedy gets you to do is think on your feet. It's almost like improv in that way that you're not creating like you would with improv your material from scratch, but at the same time, you're even though you're not creating from scratch, you're still on your feet because you could have a heckler that yells something for the stage and you need to know how to deal with that now. Uh, so they definitely require different skill sets. For somebody that's doing interviews for a podcast, I would say the big thing that you have to know in terms of podcasting, the difference, again, I, I, first of all, you have to know that most times you're going to be interviewing for longer. There are, of course, some shows that are always, you know, five-minute interview type situations. But as we know, most shows are 15, 20 minutes, a half hour, 45 minutes. And so you have to be comfortable with the long form interview. Now, what I would say is for most people, I actually recommend, and it's weird because I don't recommend it for me now, but I actually recommend you have a list of questions when you first start. And the reason I say that is because it's easy to get thrown off. And if you're not used to sort of thinking on your feet or being able to think one step ahead while still being in the moment, which is a, it's a skill set on its own, then uh, uh, having a format of questions is like a PowerPoint for a speaker. It'll keep you on track. It'll keep you on time. It'll keep you thinking, okay, what was the theme of this whole interview in the first place? It also, if you want a theme for the interview, it keeps you on theme. Because when I do an interview, the, the plan is to have a theme. But again, I, I said this to you off air, but if somebody said to me during the interview, well, I was a foster child and I was homeless for five years, I didn't expect that to come out. Well, that's going to change everything for me in that interview from what I originally planned. Now, you'd like to do enough research to find that out beforehand, but sometimes you get referred to people who you didn't meet before and they don't have a lot of stuff online to research. So I would say have questions when you're first starting, and I would also say do research when you're first starting. One of the things that served me really well is I have a really good memory, and I also... Uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of different people and their work. And so if somebody comes on to talk about yoga, I practiced yoga for years, I can talk yoga. But then if somebody comes on uh, and talks about, let's say, um, Chicken Soup for the Soul, well, I've read many of those books, I can talk about that. But then I can further, one step further go, and if somebody wants to talk about being a single mother, I was raised by a single mother. So I, I can draw from a lot of different backgrounds and experiences and I think that serves me as well. So I would say be passionate about learning and observing. And then at the same time, don't be scared to have questions rather than trying to wing it if you're just starting. You have mentioned a couple of really, really great things. Uh, one, of the, one of them is, you know, being in the moment and having a list of questions. And what I'm experimenting with nowadays is basically, I usually have a list of questions, either some reoccurring questions or I prepare, you know, for, for the guest uh, separately. But basically what I realized was, you know, I, I conduct, normally I conduct audio only interviews and I have my list of questions in front of me on the monitor and I'm, I'm getting distracted by the list of questions, by the outline. And basically what I realized, and I think this is the way that you basically went later on, you're just being present in the conversation and you ask follow-up questions based on what the guest uh, guest said, right? So I think that's that's the next level. And you've also mentioned memory, right? So you have to, I'm taking notes right now. And, um, you know, I'm getting back to those things that you've mentioned. But it's like, I like to be present. 
And I feel sometimes the outline distracts me a little bit and I get out of this flow state, so to speak, and I'm not being present in the conversation. And I realize that many times and it really distracts me. So I'm curious because preparing questions and doing the research, something that you've mentioned, can take a lot of time. And I had conversations with people and they have different approaches. Some people prepare, you know, 10, 20 hours for a guest because that they, they say that that's kind of like the competitive edge or competitive advantage, you know, compared to others, because others, as you just, as you said, they just wing it, right? So they get into the conversation and they just, they, they improvise. And some people prepare 10, 20 hours, maybe more, I don't know, right? So how, how much do you prepare? How much did you prepare in the beginning? Especially I'm thinking about the, the, the thought leaders and, 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 and the leaders that you've interviewed, which is, you know, when someone comes on the show, it's it's a really big name. I'm kind of like super nervous and I definitely over prepare like I prepare for, <laughs> you know, sometimes weeks because I listen to their podcast. I listen to their content and whatever. And uh, I think I, I over prepare. So I'm curious, how much did you prepare in the beginning and how did you evolve and how much do you prepare nowadays? So this is and this is going to be uh, I'm going to say. And I never say do as I say, not as I do, because I don't believe you have to do as I say, but I will say don't probably do as I do in this circumstance, Tibor, because what I did early on is I really, I'm really big on vetting your guests. And I mean, in this in both ways, I mean, in terms of bringing on the guests that you are passionate about learning from. And at the same time, uh, if you're early on, especially there's nothing worse than if you're a new interviewer, bringing on somebody who's terrified of being interviewed because <laughs> that gets really awkward quickly. So what I'm saying is bring on guests, especially early on, that you know are comfortable being on the stage. And I mean on the stage, I mean it could be the podcast stage. But I'm gonna, to answer the question on research, it was a mixture for me. Probably I probably don't do much more research now than I did when I started. And the reason I say that is because the people I bring on the show typically are people who work I already know and like and, and trust. And so having said that, obviously you get referrals. And so that's the time I would do the research. So I don't, for, and I, this is going to sound bad, but it's it's the truth. I mean, I believe in being full disclosure to help other people, but I've been following Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield's Chicken Soup work forever. So when I, and, I, and I've interviewed them and I've listened to multiple interviews by them. And so whenever I bring somebody like Jack on, I know enough about his story and his backstory and his accomplishments. And I have a good memory, as we said, I know that he won a Guinness Book of World Records for having the most New York Times bestsellers on the list at one time. I had Larry Winget on two days ago, and I know Larry Winget has six New York Times bestsellers. Most people don't know those weird, random details. I know that he, he trademarked the pit bull of personal development and the first world's first irritational speaker. So I, that gives me great talking points, and I just remember it from the first time I heard it. So I don't know if that memory will ever fail me like big time, but for now, it's served me well. So I have to speak from both perspectives. If you have that kind of memory, I think you can get by a little bit with less research. And again, if you're picking people who you stuff, you already know. Now, the, the caveat or the very from there is what about a person that gets referred to me who I've never heard of? That's where you see me do the research. And I would say the maximum I would put in on research for a guest, maximum, would be probably about 45 minutes to an hour, maximum. Now, I know that like somebody like Larry King, I mean, I've heard stories of him, you know, putting in 45 hours of research for a 30-minute interview. I know Lewis Howe, who's a machine in podcasting. I've heard that Lewis Howe puts in 15 to 20 hours. Now, 
you got to you got to factor something in. I don't know what his numbers are now, but I think Lewis Howe is getting like 80 million downloads a year. So if he does one episode a week and he's getting 80 million downloads a year, whatever the numbers are, or somebody like Joe Rogan, who just, you know, got signed a deal with Spotify for $100 million. Well, Joe Rogan, and I don't even know how he'd have the time. He's too busy. But let's just say Joe Rogan might do 10 hours of research or 20 hours of research. But you got to think of the return he's getting from that. So the reason I'm being careful on this, Tabor, is we have a lot of people that are jumping into podcasting as a side hustle on the side of their job. And do I believe you should go all in and and show up and serve with excellence, whatever you're doing, 100%. But if you're having a full-time job and you're doing podcasting and you're sharing content and all this other stuff, the question is, do you have those 15 hours? You know, are you taking five hours from your family to you to use five of those hours? And I can't choose whether you should or shouldn't do that. I'm just saying I'm scared to tell people that you started on podcasting, and you're told, wow, it's going to take um, thousands of hours to get any listeners. Wow, I got to learn all this equipment. Wow, I got to learn all these platforms. And then if you're told out of the maybe 20 hours you have in the week, now you got to spend 15 of them researching one guest. And what happens if that guest no-shows? And then you can't reschedule again, and you just spent 15 hours researching them. It's great but at the same time, now what if you had to get a replacement guest last minute? That 15 hours you spent doesn't serve you at all. And now you still don't know anything about the new guest. So for me, what I try to do, I don't believe Wikipedia is always right. I mean, there's a lot of people that aren't fans of Wikipedia at all. But the first thing I do is I go to the Wikipedia page if they have one. And they can get the glimmers of stuff, like the high-level stuff. Uh, again, like they, if they hit the New York Times bestselling list and I want to go there. Or if they have this unique brand that I can talk about. Then the next thing I'll do is I'll go to their website. And of course, in some cases in their bio, I'll match up what it said on Wikipedia to make sure I'm not saying something to them that's false. Now I will say, if I say to somebody, if I'm not 100% sure, I'll say now, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I remember reading this. And, that, and then they're fine to correct me if I'm wrong. Because even if they, even if it said it somewhere on their website, maybe it's, mis, you know, maybe this is not accurate. So that was a long way to say that what I usually do is go to their Wikipedia page, website, spend about an hour. And I find that'll give me enough to have a base level interview where I'm not going to prepare questions anyway. Yeah, that's pretty amazing because uh, basically we can have two groups, right? So one is, let's say, uh, full-time podcasters who are willing to do that, that they spend 10 hours or 20 hours on preparing for an interview. Or really, I mean, full-time podcasters in the sense that they make money, let's say, Lewis House or Jordan Harbinger, who really focus on you know, just producing podcasts and they make money out of that. But we can focus on the other group basically is, let's say, as you've mentioned, side hustle. And I want to, you know, utilize this podcast as a lead generation tool or amplify my message or uh, all these different things. And uh, I'm really glad because you've mentioned that basically you kind of like optimize this process uh, and you reduce this whole thing to 45 minutes, one hour. And basically you gave us a blueprint that we can basically check out Wikipedia and then the guest's website, going through the website and then their short bio. And that's basically the preparation. So did you prepare in the beginning, uh, you know, questions for each of the guests or did you have kind of like an interview flow that GLD, John Lee Dumas on Entrepreneurs on Fire had like this reoccurring questions and basically uh, the same interview flow for each of those interviews. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that and also referenced John Lee Dumas at the same time because uh, interestingly enough, whenever I started, I had a bit of an interview flow like John and I, I'm glad you mentioned it because there's somebody who's, for a non-celebrity podcaster when he started, somebody who's crushed at the highest level of podcasting who did do what I said, started with questions 
And I haven't watched John do an interview, like video interview in a while to see this, but I don't think he uses questions anymore. Like, I don't think he's fixed to the interview flow. But when he first started, he had whatever the number was, I think it might've been 10 questions, but he had an interview flow. And even from, I was interviewed on his show, episode, I think it was 297. Again, I have a weird memory for this stuff. And then I was episode like 1153 or something, but 297 for sure. And the difference even from those episodes, which he was doing it daily. So that would be what, like, uh, you know, what? first year to third year or something or first year to fourth year. And I could tell that it already changed. Like the questions weren't as fixed as they were before. But the point is, yes, he started with an interview flow. So did I. The one difference from John and I is I would, I started with an interview flow, but I would also customize it to some degree to the person. So for instance, I remember my first interview with Jack Canfield, they made me send questions. And because it was so early and he was my first big interview, I wasn't bold enough to say, no, I'm not sending questions. So I sent questions, which meant I had to customize them to him. And so then I started doing that a bit more. And when I say customize to him, here's an example. One of the questions I customized, which got a lot of good out of him in the interview was, I said, if you were a relaunch Chicken Soup for the Soul now in a digital world, without all the stuff we had when you launched it and knowing you have to launch it in a different way, what would you do differently? Well, that was a prepared question, but what I wanted to find out is he launched it whenever it was print books, bricks and mortar stores. I mean, it was a totally different world. 19, what was it? 1991, I believe. And when he launched Chicken Soup, the first one, might've been 93, one of those two years. And that world was a whole bunch different. I mean, James Redfield, who I had on the other day, uh, Celestine Prophecy, launched that book in 1993. And him and his wife drove around a 2000 bookstore and handed copies of the books out to people from the back of his car. That's a different world than today. So I wanted to know from Jack, the master of marketing, what he would do differently. And I have to tell you, and I want to go back and take that clip and use it somewhere, but he delivered a masterclass in how to launch a book in a digital world. And yet he didn't even have to do that because he launched his book series and built his brand before that. So that was a prepared question. It wasn't just on the fly, but that question was very customized to Jack is what I'm saying. So I did have an interview flow, but I also did customize as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, when it comes to interviews, basically when it comes to the first question, this is something I think about a lot because I, I don't really want to start. Well, I've been hosting the Mindset Horizon podcast for more than a year. And basically my first question has been, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do and how you got there. And I wanted to change this, especially when I started this new podcast to ask a specific question connected to the person to the guest's experience and unique story and then start somewhere with a story so that that is something I realized I needed to change and I needed to customize that a little bit and be more specific connected to the person that's really interesting I don't know if you have when it comes to interviews and preparing this or back then preparing this outline and questions did you have specific things in mind that you want to extract a story or were you focused on extracting some nuggets for the listeners or what were your what was your main thought process or thinking process? My, my thinking process, and this is going to sound again, maybe a bit, it, I, I won't say this is, I won't say this is right or wrong, but I think it's actually a strategy that some people might use. What I did was I basically decided that I was my ideal listener. So I was my avatar. And so what I did was I said, what do I want to learn? And go back to Jack, let's say, what do I want to learn from Jack Canfield? Because if I want to learn it, there's other listeners that want to learn it too. So I actually took the approach because I thought it was easiest is what if I'm my own avatar? We always talk about who's your avatar and then customize them. And people struggle with that because they don't know how to customize to an avatar they don't know. Well, I said, what if, just what if 
as a podcast listener who at the time is in his 30s, who uh, listens while he's driving places, who's into personal development, who's a uh, lifestyle entrepreneur. What if that's my own avatar? Well, why don't I just ask the questions as if that's who all my listeners are? What is up, my friend? I hope you are enjoying today's episode and we're going to get back to this conversation very soon. But first, I want to tell you a story. So you might already know that I've been hosting my other show, The Mindset Horizon Podcast, for more than a year now. And while doing so, I was experimenting with producing and releasing more content in order to grow my audience. You see, releasing content more frequently can have a huge impact on growing your download numbers. There was a time where I released daily content on the Mindset Horizon podcast, but I needed to pay a lot more for hosting services just because of doing so. On top of all that, I was thinking about starting my second podcast, the one you are listening to right now, the Podcast Interview Mastery Show. This is how I decided to look for other hosting solutions that support podcast growth. I was more than glad when I found Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host, With Captivate, you don't have to worry about paying more if you want to release more content or if you want to create more podcasts because they charge monthly fees based on download numbers. Captivate is the only podcast host that supports your creativity with unlimited podcasts for one inclusive price. That is why it was a no-brainer for me to leave my previous hosting provider and choose Captivate. So if you are thinking about producing more content for your existing show, or you want to start more podcasts, I would highly recommend checking out Captivate at MindsetHorizon.com forward slash Captivate. That's MindsetHorizon.com forward slash Captivate. Again, releasing content more frequently can have a huge impact on your download numbers, but can you do it without paying more for hosting services? With Captivate, you absolutely can. Check out Captivate at MindsetHorizon.com forward slash Captivate and start growing your show exponentially. All right, my friends, so without any further ado, let's get back to today's interview mastery episode. And so that's how I prepped it. So my questions were prepped for, I wanted to know from Jack. See, the other thing is, one of the benefits of being an interviewer is you get to get in front of people, in some cases, who would charge $60,000 for an hour of their time. And you get to ask them questions for an hour that you choose to ask, learn what you want from them directly, and get an hour's time with them. And so... Recognizing that, I said, why don't I ask the questions I'd want to know from Jack if I could hire him as a consultant? And the answers to that are probably the answers I'd want to know if I was the listener as well. And so when I asked that question about what would you do to launch your book today in the digital world, I wanted to know from the master of marketing what I should do to launch my books in the digital world. And in fact, I did some of what some like one of the things he suggested was to do uh, launches like as if you were on CNN. You know, so interview people, uh, you know, let's look at CNN's format, but interview people si- across from them, sitting across from them, bring in some big names that you know, interview them, and then have a rolling stream in the bottom saying, buy the book here, and then spend three hours, four hours, almost like an online book launch. And again, this is going back, when he told me that, this was like 2011. I mean, that people weren't doing that then. And so my first book launch after Jack said that, I did a whole bunch of Facebook Lives, and Facebook Live was just starting where I was interviewing people in the book about what they said in the book. Well, that was directly what I learned from Jack on that one question that I prepared five years before. So I I was actually asking the questions that I wanted to know the answer to is the short answer. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's a good approach. And basically, um, I am my ideal listener for the podcast interview mastery show as well. Actually, you know, that was my struggle. And I think 
I think Tim Ferriss talks about this, that, you know, if you have a struggle, basically, and you develop a solution to that, that could be a product or a service. And that was my approach with the podcast interview mastery show, because I wanted to learn more about how to become a better interviewer. So I'm kind of like on this journey with the listeners right now. I can imagine that after 100 interviews, you know, I become an expert, let's say, in interviewing, but it's not the case yet. And uh, that was my approach. And what you're saying basically reminded me of curiosity. So you were curious about different things. And if I'm just using my curiosity and my own experience as well, and I combine that into the conversation, I think we can, you know, extract some nuggets from the guest that is helpful for the listeners. And then also, when it comes to, you know, the avatar, I think that's a that's a great point, because that's something a podcaster should kind of like develop in the very beginning. And um, that can really help the, the interview, that can help the preparation for an interview in terms of you have somebody in mind, who you are trying to serve, because we can say audience, but if you have one particular person in mind, let's say it's you, um, you can be more specific on what you want to ask as a question in the interviews, right? So, or prepare your outline or question or whatever it is, but it's a, it's a good way to think about, you know, approaching the interview. And I'm kind of curious because we talked about interview preparation, how much time uh, people should prepare and stuff like that. I'm, I'm curious about the in-person interview experiences, because to be honest with you, I'd love to do that in the future. <laughs> so that comes from my curiosity. And I can imagine that many people are playing with this idea or anytime if you are at a conference, maybe it's not happening right now because of the things that are happening in the world, but it can happen when you're in a conference, you want to interview someone in person. And I can imagine that requires a completely different skill set. And I'm curious about your experiences and um, talk to us about how someone can conduct great interviews when it comes to in-person interviews. Yeah, absolutely. So in-person interviews, uh, there's a couple of big differences. One of them is when we're doing this, we're making eye contact, but it's like a unique way to make eye contact. But when you're sitting across from a person, directly across from them, you have to make eye contact, but also you have to sort it. And this is going to sound, I'm not going to go too woo-woo, but you have to share an energy space too. Like you have to, you have to figure out what is our energy to each other. So how you're sitting makes a difference. You know, how I'm sitting right now is really relaxed because you can't see me below a certain area. But if I'm sitting in front of somebody, I have to sit a different way. And um, even how, and I run it, this is a challenge I always ran into is, you know, it's easy to forget when you're interviewing somebody, if you're being filmed, you're also being filmed. So it's easy to, for you to like be twitching and doing different things like, oh yeah. And so, and so you have to be conscious of the fact that you're being watched too. Whereas if you're on a podcast, audio interview, nobody sees what you're doing, right? So, I mean, it's a different thing. The biggest thing, though, I would say is it's even more important what happens pre-interview than a podcast is. So, what I mean by that, and, and of course, let's be honest, you don't always get that opportunity. I heard Lewis Howe one time talk about interviewing the late Kobe Bryant, and he said that um, basically he was ushered into the office, and it was like, okay, go. And then they were like, they were saying, you're done, you're done type thing off, off air. And he gave him more time. But my point is, he didn't have any pre time to build a relationship. So you're not always going to have that. But what I'm getting at is if you have it, you should take it. So whenever I go to interview somebody live in person, I'm usually chatting with them as I'm setting up or while I'm 
getting sit down. I want to try to build at least a small rapport because that's going to really show in our energy. And so you obviously, a lot of people try to do that with podcasting too, but I'm just saying in person, it's crucial. If you can do it, it's crucial to do it. I will say this, and this is not another popular thing to hear, but a lot of podcasters say, uh, you have to do a pre-interview with me before we interview. And okay, I'm going to be really maybe bold or blunt here and say, unless I'm getting on a show that I've been personally desiring to get on for the longest time, or there's just some connection, chances are you're not going to get me to do a pre-interview. And so a person could say, well, that's a red flag. You won't do a pre-interview. No, it's just our time's too valuable. I don't have to, I mean, it's hard enough to find time in our day already to then get on 15 minutes with you three months before we do the interview. It's, it's just not, it doesn't cut it with me. So I'm not saying you can't do that, but I'm saying uh, for me, that doesn't work. So that means in podcasting, our only chance to build that relationship if we don't know each other already is before we click start and, and turn on. And sometimes we don't get that chance. So what I'm getting at is I think like everything, you've got to be flexible, but if you get that chance 10 minutes before you go air, uh, air live, uh, or if you're in person, 10 minutes before you start, build a relationship, do what you can to build a common bond. And that's what I usually try to do is, again, if I notice somebody has a yoga mat in the corner and I practice yoga for 20 years, I'm probably going to bring up yoga because then we only get to talk five minutes, but it's, a, you know, we can build a bond. If I see they have a, a certain band poster on their wall and I was a fan of that band, then I can talk about that. And that's one of those things that's a passion area usually. So then automatically we're bonded before we ever start. So what I'm getting at is it's important to be observing and then build a relationship before you start, because that'll carry over into the interview. And I think that applies both ways, but I think live it applies even more so. Wow, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a great point. And one keyword really is the rapport. So you want to build this rapport before you start a conversation. And this is something I do so I can speak to the audio recording stuff. So I do audio only recordings. So it's not even video recordings. It's just audio only. So we don't see each other. And uh, well, I do Facebook lives as well, where we see each other. But for the Mindset Horizon podcast and the podcast interview mastery, it's, it's all audio only. But what I do really is before we start, so I have some things that I share connected to the technical side of the whole process. For example, you know, you can make mistakes. So I, what I'm trying to do is I, I try to make the guests feel at ease and comfortable before, the start, before we start a conversation. And sometimes I even hit the record button before in during the small talk, so to speak, before the before the actual conversation, because they kind of like get used to this notion of, you know, the, the recording is on. <laughs> so we are recording already. And then we have this small talk. I informed them about a couple of things. And what I really emphasize is that they can make mistakes. They can rephrase, restate whatever they want, because the tracks are going to be edited. Now it's different in different situations. But again, if it's pre-recorded and you have the opportunity to edit and, um, it's something that really I felt really helps uh, the guests feel at ease because they know, oh, you know, it's just a recording and it's not live radio because if someone doesn't have an experience and you also mentioned before they hit the record button here that uh, we can talk about what happens if someone wants to become a better interviewee, so to speak. So some people might not have experience with being interviewed on podcasts and it can help them make feel at ease really that they know that it's not a live radio. It's not going to be, you know, <laughs> it's not, we are not broadcasting live here. So um, they can relax, I felt. 
I'll tell you one thing, not to interject, but I want to add this because it's important, I think, as well, is I the words I always say is don't worry, we're not live, so we have take backs. And what what and I tell people is you know you don't have take backs. And what if you're live, I mean whatever you say, it's there forever. Unless unless the host is generous and gets rid of it. But you know what, I, what I'm getting at. But if it's pre-recorded, what I mean by take backs is if you say something and it's at a context and I know that then as a host, I'm going to try to make that better. I'm going to edit if I have to and stuff like that. So I think when people understand that they, they have a take back where if they're live, they don't, I think that eases that nervousness as well. So that's always what I say. So, I mean, you don't have to use those wordings, words, but just let people know the difference between pre-recorded and live. And, and you know, I want, want, I want to circle back to one other thing, but I know I interjected, so I want to let you jump into what you're going to ask before I... No, go ahead. That, that's great. I, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear more. Okay, well, I'll, I'll just a couple of things that I thought could be really valuable to people because these are things that have popped up to me recently. One is um, somebody I saw somebody post inside a podcast group and say said, uh, "Look, I have I've had been having a lot of no shows with guests, and I know this isn't around the mastery of interviewing, but I wanted to go circle back. You know, in stand up comedy, we call it a callback. I want to call back to something I said earlier, where I said about the vetting process is so important. Yes, I try to help." Um, bring new people into the world of podcasting. So I try to interview people every now and then where I'm their first podcast and I have to tell them it's pre-recorded, like you were just saying, and have to ease them in. But for the most part, the reason I don't have no-shows as often, it's nothing special about me. It's that I vet the guests. So I'm going to guests who've been on, you know, could be even 50 shows, but odds are if they've been on 50 shows, they understand how valuable it is to be on the show and they show up. So one thing I would say is if you're early on, because people listening might be very early on, outside of the interviewing mastery, um, first thing is make sure you vet your guests really well. If you're And especially if you're having no-shows, that's probably why. Because somebody said in there, the post, what if I charge $25 but it's refundable once you show up? Well, and again, I was blunt. I, I said that'll work fine for new guests that are just starting in podcasting and want to get a show spot. But you're not going to get a, a vet, uh, somebody who's been interviewed 100 times. I'm going to say more than 25 times, you're not going to get them to spend money and use their credit card to be interviewed on your show. So uh, unless unless you have a show where you, you're charging for that and they're okay with it. But you get my point. It's, they're not going to give you a refundable if you show up. Because most of those guests are going to show up, so it's almost like an insult. So the best option, I think, is to vet people well. And then the second part is I wanted to add, because this was brought up yesterday when we were talking podcasting. And the podcaster we had on said, oh, my gosh, I wish more people would listen to what you just said there. And so I think it's an important note is getting guests. So you said something about – I'm tagging basically on both the things you said, Tibor, because I think I, you know, diving deeper is important, is about uh, getting big guests on your show. You said something crucial there. You said, now what I do is I turn the mic on so that they know, you know we're not live. And they see how easy it is to have that conversation. One of the things uh, somebody said yesterday is they wish they, would, they wouldn't have done early on is turn the mic off as soon as the second the interview's over. And the reason I think this is important is I've had some of the best feedback or comments about my interview after the interview's over, five, ten minutes after into the conversation. And that clip, and of course you always get to get permission, but that clip of them saying this was the best interview I've ever had, Think about when you're going to try to get a big guest and you can send a clip by, and it doesn't matter who the person is, but anybody saying, Tibor, that was the best interview I've ever had and I've done 300 interviews. That's so powerful in getting you another spot, especially if you have it on video. But what I'm getting at is don't shut the mic off right away. It's a tendency to say, I'm going to shut the mic off because it's easier for editing, but I would be less worried about editing than capturing this great moment. And just to put a big oomph on this, I had two quotes after interviews 
that have landed me more interviews than anything else I've ever done. One was from Les Brown, who said after the mic was turned off and he was taking the mic off his shirt, so you knew it was authentic, he said, um, uh, you know, something along the lines of, uh, are you a speaker? And I said, yes. And he said, uh, yeah, I can tell when I'm in the presence of greatness. So having Les Brown say that, when the mic is turned off and they can see that this isn't set up, massive. Lisa Nichols also said, just did 155 interviews, you brought stuff out of me nobody else ever has. I mean, those things are golden, but imagine if I turned the mic off because I said the interview's done. So a, a big lesson to people, and if you can get this early on, it's going to serve you. Don't turn the mic off too soon. Yeah, that's that's a great point. That's a great point. And I haven't tried that before. So I tried the, the first version where I start recording during the small talk and then we start a conversation. But keep recording afterwards because conversations happen. Uh, that's a great point. And basically, you know, as we are talking about this whole interview experience, I was thinking about, you know, if you could formulate to yourself some of the most important skills that an interviewer should kind of like focus on or improve to become better, or if, if you look at your journey as an interviewer, what are some of the things that made you a really great interviewer? What do you think? I think falling down, <laughs> having bad interviews made me a better interviewer. I had an interview one time with a guy and I'm, I won't, I never, never, I've never revealed his name and I've never aired the clip. You know, I know that John Lee Dumas had a bad interview with Gene Simmons and he talks about it all the time. I've never done that, but I, there was this guy, I loved his book, was a real big fan. We got in the interview, I did his bio, and then I said, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, yourself in case those that don't know you may want to learn a little bit more? And he said, well, that's a waste of time. They can just Google me. And that's how it started, right? And it was just very cold. And, and, and for five minutes, it, was, it just got worse and worse. We weren't live, so that interview never aired. But And I said to him, it was hard to say because I was a big fan of his work, but I said, you know what, I don't think this is a good fit. Maybe we need to move on. And so my point of that is, Tibor, that made me better because it got me bold enough. It took me five minutes. It should have happened in the first minute, but it took me five minutes to say, you know what, we don't have a good energy. Um, it's time to be done, basically. So having those, both, I guess we'll say be put over the fire at times and then also make mistakes. Uh, one I can share, I did an interview with Marianne Williamson. Um, so Marianne Williamson in the interview, they, her staff was going to send me a copy of the book, but it was all short notice and they didn't. And so I asked a couple of questions that I, if I would have had the book, I wouldn't have asked. So she said, well, did you get a copy of the book? And she knew we were pre-recorded. She didn't say it live. Um, I said, no, actually I didn't. And she goes, oh, well, I thought you had it. And then she said, cause the, what you asked there, I answer that and what have you. And, and, uh, she said, did you want to just do the interview another time? And you and I both know you get an interview guest that big on you're not going to wait another time because you might never get it again. So I said, no, no, look, I'll, now that I know that, I'll stay on track and stay in alignment. Well, that may be better because she called me out on that. Now, I hadn't done anything wrong, but it put me over the fire and it made me, I think, a little bit better as an interviewer. So the mistakes I've made and the times I've been tested would be the two times. I know our guest coming up shortly talks about chaos. So the chaos that's happened in interviews, uh, that's made me better, I feel. Wow. And what did you learn from that? I'm just, you know, thinking and, and what are some of the biggest learnings from that for, for you? Uh, I feel the biggest learnings is a couple things. One, that people are people. And I mean that on both sides. The people listening know things happen. And typically the people that are being interviewed, if they've been interviewed a lot, they know things happen. So first of all, uh, I've learned that we all put our pants on the same way. And, you know, as long as your heart's in the right place, you can recover from it. And then I also have learned that the more times you do that, the better you're going to get at it. So the more times you run into a struggle or a challenge as a podcaster or an interviewer, 
the tougher time you're going to have, but also the better you're going to get at getting out of those situations. If you've only ever had, uh, what we call it, uh, what do they call it, uh, fly balls or whatever, if you only ever had softballs, then you're you're never going to get to that point where you need to get to whenever you have a hardball come at you. So I would say I've learned that um, it's never the end of the road and there's always an opportunity to learn from what just happened. Wow, it's pretty amazing. And you know, I was thinking about your uh, current, the current Corey and uh, how do you conduct interviews nowadays most of the time Do you follow your intuition and gut in the conversations because you said you don't really prepare questions and stuff? So what are some of the things that you focus on in a conversation? So because I go with intuition, if I ask a question, then what I do is I look and so I have two things going on. What is my overall goal from the interview? Once I know what the overall goal is, once I hear their answer, how can I stay on that goal and take me in that right direction. So I gave the example, let's say if I'm talking to a business leader or a CEO and we're talking about how he built this business from nothing, but we talked earlier, I didn't know he was a foster child and homeless. Well, then he tells me that part. Then I'm going to say, okay, so now I know that probably something in his childhood and all the stuff he went through there made him a better CEO. So my intuition goes, okay, now I need to dive deeper into that to see what did he learn during that experience that made him a better CEO. That's a great example. And I love that. I love that. I, I kind of like I'm experimenting to to get there where I use less questions, less prepared questions, so to speak, for an entry. I have basically a North Star. I kind of like know the story of the guest, know, know what they are up to and so on and so forth. And I basically in the conversation, I just go with the flow. Uh, Corey, it's been amazing. And as we are coming to the end of this episode, I wanted to ask you about maybe book recommendations that the, the listeners can have a look at uh, to become better interviewers or speakers even or communicators, or maybe you can recommend somebody as a podcaster or as a, as a host to listen to so that we can all learn from those resources. Yeah, happy to. So I think the first person that comes to mind as far as a book is John Lee Dumas's podcast book. And I don't have the name, exact name in front of me, but he has a, a podcast book. It's I think it's the most popular podcast book that's been released, probably because of his massive following. Uh, I think I have it over my shelf, but my eyes are good, but not that good. But it's a book on podcasting that I highly recommend. Um, There's also a book that I recommend, which is not related to podcasting, but you mentioned speaking, which is The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Uh, You learn so much about storytelling, about working in threes, all these things that carry over into podcasting. So I would say that's a secondary one. And then I would just say study the greats. You know, and whether people like, let's say, Lewis Howe or Joe Rogan uh, or John Lee Dumas or Pat Flynn, these guys are grizzled veterans in the podcasting world. I mean, they know their stuff. So watch what they do. Watch how that, you know, you don't want to become the next Joe Rogan. You want to become the first insert name here. But watch what they do and study what they do and see how you can take what they're doing and bring it into your style. So I would say watch the greats. Uh, check out John Lee Dumas's podcasting book, which I wish I had the name in front of me, but it's a if you search John Lee Dumas on Amazon for podcasting, you'll find it. And the presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs by Carmine Gallo. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing, Corey. And my last question is, what's the best way to connect with you? And what is your podcast vision, let's say, for the future interviewer vision? So best way to get in touch with me, we didn't really talk about Blue Talks today, but, and that's, that was, you know, on my side, I didn't bring it up, but Blue Talks is really for me, how I describe it is it's like if Chicken Soup for the Soul and uh, TEDx had a baby, it would be Blue Talks. And so Blue Talks is our our kind of full brand. And so I would say check us out on bluetalks.com. 
and that's blue without the E. So blutalks.com, because uh, you can find stuff about me there, but you can also check out all our platforms there. So that's where I would send people to find out more about me. My vision, vision for the future with podcasting is, I, I mean, I have two podcasts now, plus we have the Blue Talks podcast, and I took a break from my two podcasts for a bit. I believe that podcasting is about consistency, so you're better to break for a few months than you are to just try to randomly put stuff out. So I took a break. I'm going all in and back in. I feel like podcasting, we're still at the start of it. I just heard the numbers that we went from less than a million podcasters to 1.4 million uh, pre versus post pandemic. So the last seven months. Uh, so it's in three years, uh, Tim Alice on yesterday said 500,000 when he started three years ago. Now we're at one point, almost 5 million. So almost three times the amount of podcasters in that amount of time. They wouldn't be jumping on at that level if there also wasn't listeners coming on at that level. And so I feel we're just at the start of it. So my vision is to stick with podcasting and uh, to ride this beautiful wave. Yeah, it's a great medium. I couldn't agree more and one of the fastest growing ones. And Corey, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate this conversation. Absolutely, Tibor. It's been an absolute pleasure. I thank you so much. Uh, I honor you and thanks for being here, my friend. Uh, thanks for bringing me on. And uh, we'll call it a to be continued because I know we're bringing you on my show in the very near future. So let's call it a to be continued. Yeah, thank you so much, Corey. I appreciate you joining us for this episode of the podcast interview mastery show. If you feel inspired to hang out with other like-minded podcasters, make sure to join the podcast interview nation community at mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview nation. If you want to check out the details, show notes, book recommendations, interview tips, and free resources, please make sure to head over to our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview. I really hope this episode's been highly valuable to you. I will catch you next time. And until then, be world class, my friend.